All right, so please stand with me as I, as I read God's word. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, going about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous, grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous for, with the wicked. Treating the righteous and the wicked alike, far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Gomorrah, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again. Now, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous is five, less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he said, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. This is the reading of God's holy and errant word. Thank you, Titus. You may be seated. Now there's a man who has a relationship with God. That's all I got to say. <laughs> if the Lord would please not be angry. Right? a pinch shorter than Pete. Let's pray one more time before the message. Father, we uh, pray from the heart that you would help us to trust in you with all our hearts and not to lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you so that you would make our paths straight. Oh Lord, speak to our hearts today. Strengthen us and help us to trust you even when we don't fully understand, but to trust your character. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now you may wonder, some of you have been, who've heard a number of my sermons over the years, you may wonder why I often bring up that scene in the movie Unforgiven so often. And I bring it up because it made such a huge impact on me because it's one of the very rare times, very rare times, where some very real, sobering truth comes out of Hollywood. You know what I'm saying? It's not often that Hollywood, you know, opens up a very profound 
real truth in its rawness. Of course, I'm referring to the scene where there's a young gunslinger in the movie Unforgiven. He's been bragging throughout the movie how many marks he's killed. He's such a, he's such a great assassin. Well, toward the end of the movie, he actually gets down to a part where he actually takes a human life. And he reveals to Clint Eastwood, the very uh, seasoned gunslinger, that that's actually the first time he's ever done it. And he's wrestling with his conscience because it didn't feel the way he thought it was going to feel. And he starts taking his whiskey, and I mean, he is just drinking it down. And he's rationalizing out loud in front of uh, Clint Eastwood because he's, he's realizing this horrible deed that he just committed. And he says to the older, more experienced gunslinger played by Clint Eastwood, well, I guess he had it coming. Because the guy he killed had done something bad as well. And Clint Eastwood says something that you rarely hear coming from TV. He says, kid, we all got it coming. It's chilling, right? The way he delivers that line, I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, and the hair at the back of my neck. Let that sink in. It's a deep truth. And it's the one of the few times Hollywood has it right. We all got it coming. Sometimes, even as believers, I, I believe we don't realize how serious man's fall into sin was. We kind of gloss over chapter 3 of Genesis. We minimize sin, we minimize its consequences, and we wonder why the idea of God's judgment seems so foreign and so difficult to reconcile with His goodness and with His mercy. Maybe you've heard this objection from those who oppose the Gospel. You know, the Old Testament reveals a mean, vindictive, unjust God. He commands his people to engage in holy war, slaughtering innocent women and children. I simply can't believe in a God like that. I'm sure if you've walked with Christ for any length of time, you've heard some variation of that. I know I have. And more often than not, this sentiment is tied to the belief that the Old and New Testaments present to us two very different gods. This view goes all the way back to the heretic Marcy, who lived right after the time of the apostles, almost during. And they would say that the God of the Old Testament was a God of wrath, and the God of the New Testament is a God of love and mercy. Now, I'm actually addressing this because one of you requested a message on this topic, and I really feel that it, but it's one of those things that we all wrestle with at one time or another in our walk with Christ. The question is, how can we reconcile the Old Testament God and the covenant of law with the New Testament God and the covenant of grace in Christ. Especially when we're talking to folks who have what we call deconstructed their faith. You may not have heard that, but basically have turned away from their faith. Who at one time professed to be one of us and then walked away. Or to just people who don't believe. Now I hope to show this morning from both Testaments that the one true God of all creation, the God who has revealed himself in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is both holy and loving. Listen. He's both just and merciful. He's both fearsome and forgiving. That's our God. 
And that's what the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation. Now, I want to begin by saying this. They usually try to trip us up with that question. How could God allow like a holy war in the Old Testament, uh, killing men, women, and children? But I want to uh, see theirs and raise them ten. We're in the land of Atlantic City, so why not push all my chips out? And I want to say it's not really about the little localized instances of God's anger and wrath and condemnation. One little story here, one little story there in the Old Testament. The Bible actually points out two incidents in the Old Testament that are way more far encompassing than one story here, one story there. And you may remember, I guarantee you all remember the first one. It's the worldwide flood. You really want to get down to it. God wiped out the human race at one point, except for Noah and his family. You remember that? goes way before God told his covenant people, who was also a body politic, which we saw last week, to in, in certain instances to bring judgment upon a wicked people who refused to repent after a long, long time. And then there's another uh, incident that the New Testament brings up as well, not just the Old Testament, and we know what incident that was, the incident that we read about in Sodom and Gomorrah, when God tells his friend Abraham what he's about to do. Because of their sins and their wickedness. So the Bible tells us that both of those judgments actually point to something even more serious than physical judgment. They point to spiritual judgment that's going to happen when Jesus comes the second time. And I'm going to quote from the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 to 10. So we write biblical. We're very biblical here. When he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. That's the day that's prefigured in all those Old Testament passages of judgment. So then why do people bring up those incidents? like the slaughtering of innocent women and children, well, they do so to try to shame believers for worshiping a God who could do such a thing. It's one of the reasons I suspect for a message like this. We, we're being barraged by such shaming tactics on a regular basis today. And the more post-Christian we are in our society, the more it's going to happen. So if it hasn't happened yet, and you walk with Jesus, it's going to happen. Now, we do have a very reasonable, albeit sobering, answer to such an objection. But of course, no matter how well we present it, no matter how gentle, no matter how respectful we do so, it won't convince the unconvinced apart from what? The work of the Holy Spirit. You came to Christ, if you're indeed in Christ this morning, because the Holy Spirit worked in your heart to show you your sin. To show you your need of a Savior. And to show you that God is just and right. And that He paid for your sins on the cross. Now that's not a cop-out saying you need the Spirit's work. It's a fact. But we saw a few weeks ago, that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ. Amen? We, that's how the Spirit works. He uses 
the word of God in people's hearts. So the evidence I'm about to turn to in Scripture will help give us the reason for the hope we have as it pertains to the objections just mentioned. But more importantly, listen, this is important. It'll help true believers confront their own doubts about the acts of God's judgment, right? Because sometimes I would think even we tremble when we read such incidents. I know I do. So I'm going to just point out three truths this morning, and I hope they'll minister to your, your soul. First truth. God's acts of judgment, this is very important to understand, God's acts of judgment are always preceded by man's wickedness and sin. You need to understand that. It's always preceded by just desserts. So we're going to take a look really quick at those two instances I mentioned, the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah. And I just want to read what precipitated both of those judgments. Genesis 6, verses 5 to 8. This is right before God flooded the earth. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. That's shocking. Yeah, God feels pain, right? His heart was broken. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I've made them. Listen, that doesn't sound crazy when you think about it. When you watch the news, when you hear what's going on, when you see people, what they're doing to one another, isn't your heart grieved? I know my wife often says, when I see what we do to one another, I feel like I'm not made for this world. You remember the Green Mile, some of you have seen the movie. And this guy who went around doing good, and he was accused falsely, and he was in prison. And the guard who had developed a relationship with him and saw that he was innocent said, you tell me what to do. I'll let you out. You know, I'll sneak you out at night. And he says, boss, I'm tired. I'm tired of the ugliness. I'm tired of seeing what people do to each other. And here that's what we have with the Lord. He's tired. And yet, here's where the gospel comes in. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's why we're here today. Because <laughs> God didn't care out his plan to wipe out the whole earth. He spared Noah and his children and started over again. Now we know the story, most of us, about uh, uh, the judgment that God poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah. We sang about it in our awesome God. And I want you to read uh, just a few verses that show what precipitated uh, God's action against Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 18, 20-22. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And we read Abraham's discussion and prayer to God. But once again, we see a, a holy, a just, 
a righteous, a pure, and a good God. And we see it's mankind that brings just judgment down upon his own head. You see that? You need to see that in the text. So it goes back to where I started. We all got it coming. You know, we talk about earning, folks earning salvation. Well, we could say this. We've all earned one thing, but it's not salvation. That's truth number one. Truth number two. God's acts of temporal judgment are pictures of his eternal judgment for sin. Someday, it's going to be even worse. We turn to the New Testament, and I want you to see this. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 9. And lo and behold, Peter refers to both of those uh, incidents that we mentioned, the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 9. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials, and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. Now, I know this is strong stuff. Stay with me for a couple minutes here. But I want you to see something. It's the New Testament saying this. Did you catch that? This is New Testament. It, entire, it, it endorses the entire Old Testament. It confirms it. And it shows us how the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus. Both in his judgment and in his salvation. You see that? Both in his justice and in his mercy. Both in his recompense and in his rescuing by grace. Very, very important. The situation is more grim than just temporal physical judgment. From the biblical perspective... That is the perspective that's revealed to us through the Holy Spirit, who is the ultimate author of the Bible. The real wonder, listen with me for a moment, the real wonder is not that God judges the wicked. Here's the real wonder, that God delivers the godly. Isn't that the wonder? Like, why do you put up with me all this? I don't deserve it. You know why? Because the godly don't deserve God's grace and forgiveness either. You remember what the Bible says, for it is by what we've been saying? Grace. Grace, by definition, is unearned favor. It's favor you didn't buy. It's favor you didn't deserve. It's favor that God gives just because he's good. And he's gracious. So here's the thing. The Bible says it's hard for the righteous to be saved. <laughs> Did you ever think of that? It's hard for the righteous to be saved. I'll show you this. It is in 
1 Peter 4, 17. Listen to this. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who don't obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Listen, why was Noah spared when the rest of the world was judged? Think about it. Why? Because God protected him. That's what the text tells us. God protected him. How was uh, Lot delivered from God's just judgment? You Come on, those of you, some of you were here when we preached to Genesis. And the Bible calls Lot a righteous, a righteous man, but man, he was a hot mess. And yet, how was he saved? You know what it says? God rescued him. Because he could not rescue himself. You know, when the lost are lost, Jesus has to go looking for him. That's what it means to be lost, brothers and sisters. We don't even know which way, which way is up. He had to come get us. So here's the question. If we all got it coming, how could God not give, it, give us what we deserve? That's the question. How could God not give us what we deserve when he's just? Let's stick with 1 Peter. Chapter 3, verse 18. Listen, let this sink in. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Listen, that's the good news. The good news is Jesus took the righteous, holy, just judgment of God that you deserved upon his own body on the tree of Calvary. So that God could declare you righteous and punish Jesus in your place and still be a just God. We're coming on holy ground here. Because after all, it ends up that the greatest act of God's judgment in the Bible is not even found in the Old Testament. It's not the flood. It's not Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what it is? It's the cross on Calvary, on the hill of the skull. It's when God the Father poured out His holy, just wrath and judgment upon His one and only Son in our place. The cross is where all the sins of all God's people, past, present, and future, were placed on the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. No wonder, listen, brothers and sisters, no wonder our Lord sweat great drops, as it were, of blood just thinking about where he was headed. We're talking about the most courageous person who ever walked planet Earth, and he sweat blood. Father, if there be any other way, Jesus said. Remember that? Nevertheless, not my will. Your will be done. No wonder the sky became as dark as night, pitch dark, at 12 noon until 3 o'clock in the afternoon when he died. And it's no wonder that he cried out, Eloi, Eloi. Lama Sabachthani. That's Aramaic, by the way. His native tongue. 
humanly speaking. And you know what he said. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Never in all eternity past was he forsaken by his Father. And at that moment on the cross, all the weight of our sins came crashing in on him. And in despair, he looked up and his father was not there. And that leads us to the last truth I want to point out. The question is not why does a holy, righteous, just, just God judge sinners. The question is, why doesn't he? And really begin to consider that question and stand in awe at it. Then you know that the Holy Spirit is doing a supernatural work of grace in your heart. When the question is changed, you say, that's a miracle. When you're not shocked anymore, surprised by the fact that a righteous God would judge sin, but that He would send His holy, innocent Son to take the judgment you deserve, then you know God has saved your soul. And you're born again from above, not of the flesh. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God rescued Lot. And what about you this morning to whom Jesus, to whom Jesus you have fled for refuge? Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5.8. It's what we read. Since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as the helmet. Now listen to these wonderful words, brothers and sisters. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not going to be the great news that it really is unless you understood the first two points of the sermon this morning. Amen? Jesus rescues us from the wrath to come. He's a forgiving God for sure, but He's a just God as well. So since we all got it coming, the question we have to ask this morning is, do we want to pay ourselves what we justly owe God? Or would we rather have our Lord and Savior pay the price like He wants to do? You know, the Bible says in Ezekiel, God says, I don't delight in the death of the wicked, but that He would repent and turn from His wicked ways. We're talking about a God who, while he's hanging there on the cross, would say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's why we have to evangelize the nations both at home and abroad. Because the only place judgment can be averted is at the cross. The world needs to hear this good news, whether they want to hear it or not. How many of us were looking for good news, the, the good news when we got saved? I wasn't looking for it. I was running literally as fast as I could in the other direction. Literally. You know, we, we often say in this church, and we mean it with all our hearts, 
The best thing we can do for the poor is plant the right kind of church in their midst. And what we mean by that is a church that preaches a holistic gospel that takes care of body and soul. Like, like the Bible tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Like the, the Bible tells us when our brother doesn't have food, it doesn't have clothing, how in the world can we say, go, be well fed, and then we don't help them out? Can, can we say that we have the love of God in us if we don't do that? So we preach a holistic gospel. But what we also mean is this. We need to do more than take care of their physical needs. We need to share with them the only hope of the nations, the only hope of averting the wrath of God, whether you're poor, middle class, or rich, it's the same Savior. And He's still the only hope. We need to do more than preach the gospel, but we dare not do less. Like Noah in his day. You know what? This is really interesting. The Bible called him what? A preacher of righteousness. His ministry wasn't super effective. Amen? But he still preached it. He still pleaded with his neighbors as they made fun of him. Dude, you're making a stinking ship in the desert. You dope. He still pleaded with them. Turn. Our God is an awesome God. I hope you meant that when you sang it this morning. He's going to magnify Himself whether it's in judgment or in salvation. Whether it's by displaying His justice or His mercy. Whether it's in rescuing the godly or whether, as it said in the text in 2 Peter, whether it's holding the unrighteous until the day of judgment. We sang it earlier. Judgment and wrath He poured out on Sodom. Mercy and grace He gave us at the cross. I hope that we have not too quickly forgotten that our God is an awesome God. Now, literally in our last couple minutes, as I uh, come to finish up this message, told you we want to get back to the story we read with Abraham pleading with God for Sodom and Gomorrah. Sound familiar? Noah preaching to the people. Now, the other, the other thing we do, by the way, is not just preach to folks, we pray for them. Amen? We pray for our enemies. We don't, it's one of those things, we don't even want to see our enemies ever go to that place. Amen? And so here we have God saying, will I withhold from my friend Abraham what I'm about to do? That's how close the relationship Abraham had. And God shares his plan. Their wickedness has come up to me. I'm going to take care of it. Notice Abraham's response. I won't read the whole thing again, but he whittles it down. But Lord, what if there's 50 people, he says. Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. And then he says this powerful line. Or it's a question, but it's rhetorical. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Brothers and sisters, that's why we need to know God. Because it's only when we know God, His righteous character, 
His goodness and His holiness. That deep in our hearts, even though we don't understand every particular instance of judgment, we know that the judge of all the earth will do what is right. The only way you're going to know that is by getting to know Him through Jesus. Drawing near to Him. Taking upon yourself the means of grace. His Word. Prayer. The fellowship of the saints. Serving Him. Loving Him. Knowing Him. Growing in God's grace. Revelation 16.8 You will be able to say along with those who were circled around the throne in Revelation. Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Are you going to be there that day around the throne praising the Lord like that? Well, then you have to know Him through Jesus now and praise Him like that now and grow more and more. We worship a just and a holy God whose judgments are righteous and true. So this is what we plead with our fellow sinners. Flee from the wrath to come to Jesus before it's too late. Amen? Amen. We'll close with this. Acts 4.12 Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, you are an awesome God. And as we think of your servant, who you called your friend, Abraham, how he approached you with reverence and in godly fear, and yet with the warmth of a child, willing to boldly plead with you for Sodom and Gomorrah, and especially for his son-in-law Lot. Or his nephew, excuse me. Father, help us to know you through Jesus. Through faith, the way that Abraham did. To trust you. Even when we, we can't understand your ways, Lord, that we would trust your heart. And Lord, we pray that in our lives we would call people to flee from the just wrath to come and to find justice and mercy in the place where it meets, in the cross of Christ. We pray it in His name. Amen.